Hi, everybody. I'm Joshua Danziger. And I'm Ethan Canfield. Today is Wednesday, June 7th, 2023. And this is The Young Perspective, where we talk about America's biggest political and social dilemmas from the eyes of two high schoolers. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Young Perspective. So yesterday, I was scrolling through my news, and I saw something that stuck, stuck out. In the past couple of years, the United States has seen multiple Supreme Court cases regarding the relationship between church and state. Obviously, we know we have the, the Constitution, the First Amendment, which, which sets up freedom of religion. Yet, it's a complicated relationship. How much power does the church get, and what is the relationship between church and the federal, state, and local governments. So yesterday when I was scrolling through the news, I saw an article that said the Oklahoma Statewide Charter School Board, the board that regulates charter schools in the state of Oklahoma, had just approved the first religious charter school in America, in American history. It's, they approved the St. Isidore of Sevilla Catholic Virtual School. So it's going to be a Catholic school controlled by the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Oklahoma City and the Diocese of Tulsa. And this is significant because it's the first religious charter school in American history. The board uh, voted in a 3-2, voted 3-2 in favor of accepting the school. So the board, um, when they voted to accept this, uh, the school, uh, it's not currently a school. It will be a school in the fall of 2024. It plans to be a uh, school in 2024. And as I said, it's a virtual school. So it's going to be an online school. Students uh, there will be from K- ages K through 12. And there will be about 500 students. Uh, they plan to enroll about 500 students uh, in fall 2024. And the school, not only will it uh, be a religious school, you know, my understanding of most religious schools, you have you know, your, your religious classes and then your non-religious classes, but this school plans to integrate religious teaching into every curriculum and every subject, including math, science, history, English, all of your non-religious courses will also include religious aspects as well in the school. So what's so significant about this is usually religious schools, Catholic schools, uh, Muslim schools, Jewish schools, religious schools are private schools. And what that means is that religious schools don't get directly funded by the government. The government isn't giving the religious schools money to operate. This is unique because this would be the first time that the government directly gives a religious school money to operate. And the way they'd be doing this is through the charter school. Now, a charter schools receive their entire funding from the state government, but they're not run by the state government. They're entirely privately run by a separate board, a CEO, unrelated to the government. Which essentially, charter schools are most like a private business, a for-profit business. So they receive money from the government, and their intention is to lower costs. So they make a profit on that. So the government they make they the costs are less than what the government gives them. So they make a profit and can turn that to their investors. Because it's a religious uh, charter school, it may look different. Where the the church running it does not want to make a profit, but simply takes that money that the the government gives them to to, for the operation of the school. And if there's extra left over. You know, that might be given to the church. Yet it's interesting, which is now taxpayer dollars from somebody who may not be a Catholic in Oklahoma are going to fund the Catholics, going to fund Catholic education. And that is where the controversy comes from. So this has angered a lot of people in Oklahoma and throughout the country because uh, 
people uh, think people are saying that it's wrong that their taxpayer dollars are going to fund education um, of something that that is completely religious and is still in a public school situation. Just because it is a charter school doesn't mean that it's completely private. It is still completely funded publicly and therefore is considered a public institution. And so uh, the Oklahoma Attorney General Gettner Drummond, who is a Republican, said that it's extremely that it's extremely disappointing that board members violated their oath in order to fund religious schools with our tax dollars. In doing so, these members have exposed themselves on the state to potential legal action that could be costly. And in comparison, another Republican in Oklahoma, the governor, Kevin Stitt, along with legislators, have supported this decision. And he said that the decision is a win for religious liberty and education freedom in our great state. So it's interesting to see these two Republicans having completely different stands, one of them being the attorney general, the one who's uh, most likely more versed in the uh, Oklahoma Constitution and the legality of the situation. The other one being the politician, the politician governor, Governor Gavin Stitt, um, who is taking the stance of uh, of this being a win for religious liberty, and it's fair in the terms of creating an equal opportunity for all different religions. Now, this development comes about at the same time as another development in the U.S. regarding education, and this is known as the school choice movement. And what essentially what the school choice movement is, is people say, I choose to send my, my child to private school, Yet I still pay taxes, and those taxes are going to fund public schools. So why am I paying these taxes if they're not going to benefit my kid? So what some states have, uh, are doing and are planning to do, and some states have started to do, and Florida has been talking about doing, is, is one of these major states, is giving vouchers to families who want to, to you know, who want to send their kids to private school instead of public school. So because you're not taking up public resources and you know sending your kid to public school, the state's going to give you a six or seven or eight or nine thousand dollar voucher. To pay their way to private school. It's kind of like a reimbursement for not taking the state's resources um, and sending your kid to public school. Now, recent Supreme Court cases have actually said that these vouchers can go to religious private schools just like they can go to non-religious private schools. So, you know, in, in some way, in a more indirect way through this voucher system, states have begun giving money to religious private schools through these voucher systems. But yet school choice activists want to go farther. And school choice activists are among the people who support this religious charter school. Uh, the, the, the Catholic Concert Conference of Oklahoma, their leader, Brett Farley, said it's a watershed moment in school choice movement. So essentially he's saying it's more school choice because people can choose to still send their kids to public school where they don't have to pay, yet they can choose to send to a religious public school where that teaches their values. So it's a win for the school choice movement. So this has led to immediate action by the by an advocate by an advocacy group the Americans United for Separation of Church and State and they said that they would challenge this this decision legally um, and many believe that this could potentially lead to a situation where this could potentially that this could go all the way up to the Supreme Court um, and could be a pretty important decision uh, in the in the Supreme Court and it comes down to two clauses in the U.S. Constitution, one of them being the Establishment Clause. The Establishment Clause says that the U.S. government can't make any law respecting an establishment of religion. 
So basically, this says that you can't establish an official religion, you can't um, harm a, a certain religion or, religion or bring the government and, the, and a religion together under one under one uh, entity. And so this connects to the case, and this connects to the situation because you're having a public a public institution, a charter school that's run by taxpayer by, that's run by taxpayer dollars that is now going to be teaching a specific religion uh, and religious belief. Now, the second clause that's relevant is known as the free exercise clause. And the free exercise clause is, is more broadly what we think about as freedom of religion. You know, when we think about freedom of religion, we basically think, oh, the government can't stop me from doing my religious beliefs. That's what it is. And it goes even farther to say it, it doesn't only protect religious beliefs, but protects actions made on behalf of those beliefs. So some parts of the free exercise clause, you can questionably break other laws in order to practice your religion and do those religious actions, you can questionably break the drinking age for religious reasons. That's under the free exercise clause. And then this has come up, not just, you know, in this, this decision, but recently in a lot of Supreme court cases, uh, schools have been, uh, have been testing, uh, whether they can receive funding like these voucher programs that Josh explained earlier. Um, and, a lot of these schools are religious schools and they believe that they should receive the same funding that non-religious private schools uh, receive. And so in 2020, as in a Supreme Court case, Espinoza versus the Montana Department of Revenue, uh, the court ruled that Montana could include religious schools in their program for giving tax incentives for supporting private school tuition scholarships. So the idea was that they um, gave these uh, incentives for private school tuition scholarships, but and, and now they were allowed to not only do private schools, but religious private schools. So before they thought that before there was a question if this could only be a secular, this could only be non-religious private schools. Now it's all private schools. Now it's all private schools, including religious private schools. And then you have another case, Carson v. Mackin in 2022, that said that a main voucher program uh, that sent rural kids to private high schools in a different area had to be open to religious schools. So not only sending them to private schools that are non-religious, but now private schools that are religious. Of course, we have these precedents, we have these clauses, we have these Supreme Court cases, but how do they apply to our case at hand? Is this Oklahoma Supreme Court, is this Oklahoma decision to have a religious charter school, is that constitutionally permissible, legal, and will there be challenges in the state Supreme Court, federal Supreme Court? Ethan nor I are constitutional scholars or legal scholars, yet luckily, my sister has a friend. Her name is Isabel Foley, and she's a law student at the University of Virginia School of Law. She has taken constitutional law, civil liberties. She's taken courses on the First Amendment, um, on religious freedoms and religious rights. And we're lucky to have Isabel joining us here today for the podcast to give a legal perspective. Welcome, Isabel. Thank you. So we've been discussing the, the, the state of Oklahoma and their decision to allow religious charter schools can you tell us your preliminary thoughts on the decision and how that might regard the federal constitution or the Oklahoma specific state constitution? Yeah, I mean, with situations like this, I kind of personally always get the sense that um, lawmakers are setting themselves up for a constitutional challenge, a Supreme Court case, because they kind of want to see how far the court's going to go in terms of their um development of establishment clause and free exercise doctrine. So they know how um, provocative this law is. I think it's particularly interesting that you have a Republican governor and a Republican attorney general who are in disagreement about um, the legality of 
a law like this. Um, unsurprisingly, the legal expert, the attorney general, uh, does not think it's constitutional. Um, I don't know. I I want to say that I don't think that this law is constitutional, but we've seen this doctrine change so much in the last two years that I, I don't even know if it's possible to make a prediction about like what the Supreme Court would say if it if they were to hear a challenge on this. Isabel, you mentioned that you've seen uh, that we've seen this uh, the situation change in the last few years. Uh, can you tell us about the recent 2022 case, uh, Carson v. Mack, and how that relates to the situation with this charter school? Sure. Well, I guess I'll start by saying Carson, I, I, I don't think is necessarily a huge departure from some pre-existing cases um, over the course of the 2000s with regard to basically vouchers and voucher programs for, for public schools. I think the the big kind of shock to the system in terms of um, religious liberty and establishment clause issues was um Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, which came out last year, which doesn't deal with this issue of um, religion and schools, like religious schools themselves, but um, it kind of was the nail in the coffin on the traditional test that that the court would use when kind of analyzing these issues. So like the facts of that case aren't particularly relevant, but that that case, Kennedy, is what kind of has opened the door to I think new challenges like the law in Oklahoma and people basically generally thinking that the Supreme Court is going to let um, a lot more slide in terms of what traditionally was considered an establishment clause violation. But anyway, that said, um, so Carson is basically, oh, actually, before I say anything more about Carson, I have to give a huge shout out to my good friend, Caitlin Flanagan, also a student at the University of Virginia School of Law. She just won an award um, for a paper that was written specifically about this case and the separation of church and state issue. So shout out to Caitlin. Basically, Carson uh, deals with this system in Maine where the there are certain um, like school administrative um, units where just certain geographical areas of the state don't have um public schools that are that are operational. And so the state public school system basically set up a program whereby the um, local, like I'm going to just refer to it as a school district. Um, the school district can choose between two different options, one being um, where they can enter into a full contract with um, an entire school, or they can just fund the tuition of um basically attendance at a private school for any children within that district that basically can't provide their own education. And um, part of the requirement for funding tuition at a private institution is the institution has to be um, non-sectarian, basically secular, not a religious school. And um, some parents challenged that and said it was a violation of their free exercise. And so this is kind of the classic case of where does an individual's free exercise right um, stop and the establishment clause start, essentially, because the state is going to argue that, well, we can't fund tuition towards a religious private institution because that violates um, the establishment clause, either 
under the federal constitution or under um, that state's constitution. And essentially what the Supreme Court said, and, and this is why I say it's not necessarily a total departure um, from existing law, um, they basically said, I mean, first of all, we already decided this in Espinoza, which was similar similarly about um, a state no aid provision to public schools. This idea that um, parents um, break this kind of relationship between the state and that private religious school. So the parent's choice to take the money from the state and then use it towards their child's education at their school of choice makes it so that the government isn't actually funding the, the religious school directly, right? Um, the idea is that, I don't know, you can kind of think of it as like a tax credit where if I get my tax credit and I want to donate that money to my church, that's not the same as the government donating money to a church, right? Um, and can I? Sure. Can mm-hmm. I try? Just thinking about that same logic, could that not logic, and I'm you know, pushing back here a little bit, could that logic be applied to, to this case, in, to the situation in Oklahoma, whereas a charter school, though you know, funded by the government, it's not a, a local public school that people are zoned to. A parent actively chooses to send their child to the to to this religious public charter school does that also break the relationship yeah so that might be kind of where trinity lutheran kicks in trinity lutheran is another case that um supported the reasoning in carson on the um from the perspective of the institution right so so espinoza is kind of about the parents rights to send their child to the the school of their choice Trinity Lutheran is a case about, um, you know, whether religious institutions can be excluded from um, kind of generalized government funding programs. So in that case, you had a government program that basically um, allowed um, qualifying organizations to apply um, for this benefit where they used recycled tires to build like a playground to build like the, you know, the padding of the playground, basically. Um, And the church was denied. They were, I mean, their application was denied. They were completely excluded from this program. The idea being that it's a government sponsored program and that, um, you know, the money can't go to any, to, to a church. And the the court said that this is a, um, it doesn't violate the establishment clause. It's a free exercise violation because the program isn't helping the church as an institution. It's not going to like actually build the steeple or the sanctuary, right? It's going to a playground. Um, children at the daycare use the playground. It's kind of, you know, the idea is it's kind of like a public good that's not just for religious use in a, in a, in a way. And, um, you know, they, they're very careful to distinguish between like, oh, well, they wouldn't qualify for a program that's um, going to fix the the building itself of the church. It's kind of this mm-hmm. very fine-tuned distinction. So that's where Trinity Lutheran might come in, where what, what the Oklahoma legislature is arguing is that you can't design a government program for funding that's otherwise open to the public to specifically exclude religious organizations. Um, There's a test about kind of when the law violates, you know, 
the right to free exercise. That test basically says that um, laws have to be neutral and generally applicable. Um, and if the law is not neutral and generally applicable, in, in other words, it has, um, it's, it's motivated by religious animus and it treats secular and religious individuals or um, entities differently. Um, it has to be justified by like a very, very, very strong government interest. And so Oklahoma is arguing that there's no strong government interest in excluding um, the church from this charter school program. And I guess the last thing I'll say about it is that there is like an ongoing debate as to whether um, charter schools are actually public, proper public schools um, in terms of being a state actor um, versus whether they operate as non-state actors. And there's like an active case out of North Carolina, actually, I think that um, where the court might decide that issue. So, so of course we have the establishment clause from from the constitution, right? The government can't restrict the, the ability of a of religious practice. But then we also have, uh, I want to specifically cite the Oklahoma State Constitution, Section 2, Part 5. I'm going to read it for the purpose of our viewers. It says, no public money or property shall ever be apportioned, applied, donated, or used directly or indirectly for the use, benefit, or support of any sect, church, denomination, or system of religion, or for the use, benefit, or support of any priest, preacher, minister, or other religious teacher or dignitary. Mm-hmm. So to, to me, you know, on top of the establishment clause allowing religion, you know, uh, federally, this would, would indicate that the state of Oklahoma doesn't want um, the state money going to, to, to religion at all directly or indirectly, as, as the constitution says, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Are you referring to like this idea that no money shall be used directly or indirectly for use support, et cetera? Yeah. Right. So this seems like a direct, if at worst, you know, worst case it's indirect, but like, or depending how you want to frame it, worst case, it's indirect, best case, it's direct um, money from the government to this church. Um, And I think, you know, there's two things there. One, the Oklahoma Supreme court is the highest authority on what the Oklahoma constitution means. So the Supreme court of the United States can't, interpret the Oklahoma constitution and what level of protection it affords. So this might be what the constitution says, the Oklahoma state constitution says. And honestly, I just don't know enough about Oklahoma law to know how the state's highest courts have actually interpreted this clause of of the Oklahoma constitution. Because I mean, like you'll have constitutional um, language in states that seem obvious, but the way that that particular language has been interpreted within the state might not kind of correspond directly to what it looks like on its face. So it depends on how um, the the state court has interpreted it. And, and the only way that kind of the Supreme Court intervenes is if the state court's interpretation is then infringing on a federal constitutional right. So, um, that is to say, like, it definitely seems like this law kind of violates the 
you know, I don't want to use the term plain meaning because that has like separate legal significance as a phrase, but like the, you know, the plain meaning of section 2-5, but again, like I wouldn't be shocked if there's some kind of way around it. Isabel, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate your knowledge and help. Of course. Quick disclaimer. I'm sorry if I got facts and law wrong because that happens sometimes. Thank you. Thanks once again to Isabel for joining us for that legal perspective. You know, we've discussed whether or not this is legal. Um, and of course, we're going to see cases in the state courts, up to the state Supreme Court, and likely up to the federal Supreme Court as well. Yet, if the federal and state Supreme Courts allow this, this religious charter school to stand, to operate in a religious manner, how is that going to affect America and the American education system? Well, I think it has uh, profound effects, not just on the education system, but also just America as a whole when it comes to the idea of separation between church and state. Because if you allow uh, this, then where does, the, where does it end, right? When you allow a, a charter school, which, you know, really, if you get to the bare bones, is a public institution because they are receiving taxpayer dollars to be a religious institution, then why not a normal public school? Why not, not even just an education, but another uh, body, another public institution, where does that line between, this, uh, between church and state, uh, wh where's that line drawn? And I think if this situation, if this court case goes in favor of this charter school, of this Catholic charter school, that line becomes just a little bit more faded. On that note, thank you everybody for listening to this week's episode of The Young Perspective. We're excited. This last week, we just hit 10,000 listens. Um, and that is because of three, year, three and a half years of our work, but also three and a half years of your dedication to listen to us, to listening to every episode of The Young Perspective. So we appreciate our valuable and committed viewers. I wouldn't call you viewers, actually. Our valuable and committed listeners. And uh, if you want to find more of us, you can find us on our website at theyoungperspective.net. Our Instagram is, is the underscore young underscore perspective. And you can email us at ejtheyoungperspective at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for your commitment. And remember, this was The Young Perspective.